Oh, no, 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 no. That doesn't exist in this universe. No. Pain does not exist in this dojo. I draw the line here. Travel back in time to the 80s. Reliving the advice. Carpe diem. Seize the day. The comebacks. Why don't you take a picture of the last longer? Uh-uh. And the technology. Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Hey, wait. Where are we? Uh, I think we're still at Disney World. Didn't this get end last week? Yeah. I mean, it was supposed to. Where the hell's Spearsy? I don't know. Last thing he said after our last podcast was that he was going to go find a churro stand. Oh, look, there he is. Spearsy! Why are we all still here? I thought we cleared up the whole end of the 80s with the last show. <coughs> Where do you get that mobility scooter? And what the hell is he eating? Oh, God. It's a smoked turkey leg. He really has become one with Disney World. When he said he wanted to become huge in the podcasting world, well, I didn't think he meant huge. (laughs) So salty. Hey, guys. Hey, we can't leave yet. Sorry. We have to cover the fans' picks from songs that ended the 80s. Oh, all right. But hey, you didn't by chance pick me up a frozen banana, did you? Schwing. Thanks, man. Stop thinking about food, you two. I gotta get out of here. And if that means we gotta cover six more songs, then so be it. Drop the food and let it be known. I'm about to rock that microphone. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Did he just... Yeah. Try to rap a late 80s tune. Oh, God. Oh, God. I think I'm gonna be sick. Turkey leg. He wants out. Start the show. Start the show. Hey, hey, it's Steve Spears, and welcome to Stuck in the 80s. Today, finally, we finished the longest podcasting series of all time as we honor our fans' picks for songs that ended the 80s. I want to rock right now. We have milked this cow dry. Twice. <laughs> it's shooting out dust. <laughs> With me, as always, uh, it's, it's Brad and Drew. Hey, man. Hey guys, here we are again. Yep, we're talking, wrapping it up. <laughs> I hope. I don't know. I still think there might be one more show, like uh, songs that ended the '80s. The outtakes, you know. I was gonna say the, the apology. <laughs> I'm sure people still are gonna be submitting songs. So here's the idea. Um, back over the summer, uh, Alexander, three years ago, yeah, you've been sleeping under a rock. Alejandro Solis from Tijuana, Mexico, had sent us a PBTMN question asking us to name, and all he asked us was for to name the song. That began the 80s sound and the song that ended the 80s sound. And yet we've turned it into four podcasts, five podcasts. Yeah, four. Yeah. So um, here's how we do it. We are basically looking for songs that, that sort of hearkened the end of the 80s. They might be the last true 80s sounding song of the decade. Or it might be a song that um, gives us a hint as to what uh, darkness is to come. And uh, last week, we each picked our own two songs. This week, we asked um, our listeners to submit their own songs. So we will pick two listener songs apiece, giving them full credit, of course, Mr. Spicoli. And uh, we will defend their picks, and we will wrap this sucker up. Yeah, I'd also like to say, I mean, we got some really good listener picks, but there's some weird ones out there. (laughs) I mean, I love those guys, but... Wow, there's some strange ones that came up. Well, somebody, well, you get like some deep album cuts, and I'm like, you know what? That may be a great choice, but I'm not standing behind that one. <laughs> yeah, and, and I will admit too, we're going to defend some songs here that we may not necessarily personally like. Um, I can guarantee you, this, the two songs I'm going to represent, I don't really like them, but I totally get that they're the end of the '80s. 
So I didn't get a lot of mail this week for that last show. Did we get a lot of commentary back? People saying, "Yeah, you were right. No, you were wrong." I mean, what was the general vibe for the for the picks? Well, we got because I mean, there were a couple of them that I mm-hmm. felt like if I was going to say, you know, is this if if I was doing a podcast stuck in the 90s and I was looking for songs that started the 90s sound. Could I have used one of those songs for it? There were a couple that I'm like, eh, you could maybe do in that. In fact, that's almost the perfect definition of what these songs should be. These are almost the start of the 90s. Um, although last week you picked um, Love Shack by B-52s and I would argue that that was like not a 90s song. It was very much an... So would I. I will, I will argue that to my dying breath. I think that if we have picked songs that could live on a Stuck in the 90s podcast, I want to meet those guys, by the way, because we'll take them out. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> if this, if you pick a song and it could be on that podcast, then you picked a crappy song. <laughs> That's Wow. I don't that know. did not don't... honor the spirit. Of the no, question. I think it does. I thought the question left it open for interpretation. I thought the, the question said, like, Pick one, and so I kind of picked one that was not only the end of the '80s, but then also one that kind of continued the '80s sound well into the '90s. So I thought I thought it was either or in that. I didn't think it was a you know this is the oh, rule. You know, I'm a Seth. I deal in an up. <laughs> oh wait, I mean I'm an engineer. I deal in <laughs> yeah. Brad's being really difficult today. I don't know what it's about, but I <laughs> I think it's going to become a thing, a storyline in this podcast, and uh, I don't think it's going to end well. <laughs> well, let's get started, Drew. Take uh, take the first swing at it. Who who uh, are you representing? Actually, the first one I'm picking is the is the one that we let off with Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock with "It Takes Two. I wanna rock right now. I'm Rob Bass and I came to get down. I'm not internationally known, but I'm known to rock the microphone because I get stupid. I mean outrageous. Stay away from me if you're contagious. The reason I picked this song, well, actually, I didn't pick this song. It was Flarp Taliano, and I hope I said that name right. <laughs> this song came out in 1988. It was when I was in college. It actually reached number 36 on the American charts, and uh, it was just such a different song for me because it had. It was one of the first songs that I noticed a lot of what I then found out to be called sampling. I never really knew what that was. I, I knew that I kind of had heard some of those lyrics or, you know, the hooks. Yeah. And I wasn't like, I'm like, what the hell is this? So I thought this was a really good pick by, by Flarp. Uh, if that is his name. <laughs> Again, I know I'm hoping that's really, I'm saying it or it's not a typo, but um, this was actually ranked number 37 on VH1's 100 greatest songs of hip hop. <laughs> and uh, also number 18 on the 100 greatest one hit wonders of the eighties. <laughs> So uh, I think it was an excellent choice. Yeah, yeah that is a, it is a good pick. Yeah. And and I agree it, it's you know it's that early hip hop is kind of breaking into the you know getting some play on the on the pop radio stations and people are like, "Oh, what's what's this?" I'm I'm mm-hmm. surprised it only reached what 36 you say? Yeah, cuz yeah. I heard that oh. everywhere. I would I would have bet money that was a top 10, top 5 song. Well, you'd lose that money cuz it only <laughs> hit 36. I mean, I don't know how else to tell you. It at 24 in Britain. Yeah, well, but, economics uh, was never my uh, strong suit in college. <laughs> or, or counting. Or counting. Uh, there's reason journalism people are notoriously bad at math. That's why we're in journalism and making no money. The uh, I can tell you right now I hated this song pretty much from the moment I heard it. I, I mean, not hated it, but never wanted to really – never yearned to hear it, never connected with it in any way. But I agree that it's 100% uh, a harbinger of doom. You know, <laughs> <laughs> the end is nigh. Yeah. See, for me, it was I was still playing a lot of basketball, and it just seemed to. It was one of those those um, songs that we would actually warm up to. You know, we'd come out on the court and yeah. do your little warm ups to a song, and and it so was it's like that proto occurred, jock jam. It kind of was proto jock jam. It was basketball. Was the other one by Kurt? I think it was Curtis Blow. Was that basketball by him? Um, so those were the couple of the songs that we'd come out and warm up to. So I, when I when I saw this on the list, I was, I just had to choose huh. this one. Well, let me get, hit you with my first pick. It's nearly as aggravating as that song. <laughs> <laughs> it, well, I'll take that back. It's maybe twice as aggravating. It's uh, Paula Abdul with "Forever Your Girl."
The sound you hear in the background, by the way, is not static. It's me grinding my teeth, having to listen. I'm right there with you. Oh, Jesus. Um, Forever Your Girl, uh, released February 20th, 1989, uh, from Paula Abdul's album of the same name, um, but written and produced by Oliver Lieber, Lieber, whatever. Um, don't care. Don't care. Don't need to know. Uh, <laughs> oddly enough, suggested by bass notes. You know, I can understand where he's coming from. Again, I, I'm with you. This song is not something I ever need to hear again. But um, you know, it's a good, good piece of bubblegum pop. I mean, if you're going to say anything nice about it, I guess. That well, would let me, be let me ask you this, and this is the, really the, let me cut to the chase with Paula Abdul. Um, you know, she came out, and obviously, um, in my mind, the attraction to her was her looks and and, and the fact that she could dance. I guess. As much as I care about dancing, which is next to nothing, <laughs> but she had good looks. I mean, to me, I was kind of like, I mean, did you guys have the hots for Paula Abdul in the late eighties? I never did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She was an attractive. Uh, she was an attractive. She young was lady. pretty, but she just uh, it, she, it was. She wasn't one of those that caught my eye that I could take it or leave it. Oh, I don't know. I, I kind of thought that was to me the, the main attraction was just the videos. Um, in fact, the video for this, directed by David Fincher. Really? Yep. Wow, I didn't know that. Had a bunch of child actors in it. Um, and six-year-old Trevor Wright, a eight-year-old Elijah Wood, uh, were in this. It spent two weeks at number one on MTV's video rotation, and um, pretty much gave her the reputation as being a, a video artist almost more than a, a musical artist. These the songs spent- she certainly sure benefited. From <laughs> yes, that. absolutely. Did. Her it spent two weeks at the top uh, 100. It uh, charted number 25 in the UK. It, became, it was also the second number one from her debut album. I still think, though, when you listen to this song, you hear you hear the beginning of the '90s. In fact, if you you make most people a bet, Paul Abdul, '90s artist or an '80s artist, they're all going to say '90s. Oh, it's always '80s. Yeah. Yeah, really? That's in '90s. You say '90s? Yeah. I, always, I think I, it's got a very '90s sound. <laughs> yeah. To it. But I remember that one video with her and the cat, the animated cat. <laughs> what was that? Oh no, 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 no! That doesn't exist in this universe. <laughs> No. Pain does not exist in this I dojo. I draw the line here. <laughs> yeah. the line. See, that's the thing. It's like for, for me, I guess it was just I was not impressed by Paula Abdul. And I don't know if we should insinuate, too, that this is a song that Bass Note likes. Oh, no. This could be my, just his choice. My bet is Bass Note does not like this song whatsoever. I know Bass Note. Bass Note does not like Paula Abdul. Yeah. What I hear when I hear this song is here is the song that is going to lead people to invent the auto tune. <laughs> yeah. Not because she can't <laughs> sing, but they're going to say like, okay, I need I need a hot looking girl who can move, and then if I can auto tune her voice, I can fix it from there, and you know, dot 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 profit. Again, it's the music business, not the music mm-hmm. friends, right? I want to sell records. That's probably the smartest thing that's going to be said in this podcast right there, because I believe too that it was like weak vocalist like her that killed everything I loved about music. And I think that's also an, an example. You said it was like the top um, video on MTV. That was also when MTV to me started dying because they stopped playing a lot of videos and the videos they were playing were so overproduced and such crap. And it was really at that point to me when it was, well, the artists have to look good and not just sound good. It had become a lot more calculating. Yeah, yeah. by far. And I, you know, I know some of my generation and Duran Duran and some of the other Madonna, those were also artists that looked good while on the air. So, you know, while singing and while they, you know, both those people had talent, Duran Duran and Madonna, it's it, Paula Abdul did not. And, and that was very evident on MTV at the end of the decade. Yeah. Well, I, I think that, you know. Every, every, all three of us know people who have great singing voices, right? Being able to sing well. Brad, you have a wonderful baritone. I, I know. People tell me that <laughs> all the time. They walk up to me <laughs> in the street. Um, you know, having talent is not enough. You, you have to kind of get lucky somehow. And if the way you get lucky is that you won the genetic lottery and you're hot, well, you know, hey, good for you. She's, she's, I wouldn't say she's hot. I'd say, I mean, I don't, I don't want to dwell too much on that. No, I'm just trying to. Move the was, argument. You, you can though. She, you can dwell she, on that because that's was that's what she, sold her career. She, she was like, you know, average, cute, you know, and and had a little slutty vibe going. She had the Laker girl hook. Yeah, and it was just yes. and it was just a period of time where a marginal singer could become a hit. I mean, it was the late '80s. Anybody could be. I mean, step right up and be a star. It's the late '80s. We don't have anyone talented left in the music business. Ooh, yeah. Ouch. 
Wow. Um, okay, well, before... I was about to say that's happening now, but... Uh... <laughs> before Steve sets his computer on fire, maybe we should move on to <laughs> yeah, my pick. Okay, the first one I've got on the list here is... This is suggested by Anders Engwall, uh, and this is the Sugar Cubes track, Birthday. You guys remember this song? I had to look it up on Yes, yeah, so, so did I. I love this song. What I love about the song is the way it sounds. When you listen to the lyrics and you or you go and read the lyrics, this is a weird, weird song. So well, what I saw I'm sorry, I'm just gonna say what I ahead. saw on, online was that it was a story about a five year old girl and her love affair with the fifty year old neighbor. That's what Yeah. Said. <laughs> yeah. And Bjork is a kind of an odd one too. Kind of. So, sorry. Okay. You're, you're right. It she's weird. Let's face she's it. Very she's weird. weird. I, and this I mean, song is I like really her, weird. I like her voice, you know, and I okay. like the sound of this song, but it is a little kooky. It's a lot kooky. I mean, I and I like the kooky, but even this one, I was when I was listening to it, I'm like, wow. I, yeah, I figured is... I would going to have to chase you off for this one. This seems right up your alley. Well, let me ask you this, yeah, though. No, this does one... it Kookiness doesn't make it a, a 90s song. Kookiness, kookiness no, makes no. it an 80s song. More so, yeah. But it's the it's the production value on it. It's for me that made it more of a '90s. It didn't have I don't know. It didn't have the '80s sound to it. Yeah, I well, I mean it was it's off of the Sugar Cubes' 1988 debut, "Life's Too Good," uh, which was that was huge on the college radio scene. Uh, got a lot of play on the college radio circuit, I think. And uh, this was the second single, I think. It didn't really chart. I guess the reason I heard it, it must have gotten airtime on, on K-Rock. That's the only place I can imagine I would have heard it. Yeah. I mean, the Sugar Cubes kind of, again, they kind of fit in that slot late 80s, early 90s, because they were together for maybe three albums and then kind of imploded in the early 90s. And then Bjork went and did her solo stuff. Hmm. Bjork. Is that right? Yeah. Bjork. Yeah. We'll stick with Bjork. that. Yeah. Bjork, Bjork, can, I, Bjork. can I go off on a rant here for a second? Um, hey, why should I be the only one? College uh, <laughs> radio stations. I didn't have one. I mean, I went to a large school here. In, I went to the University of Florida, Gainesville, class of 89. We did, Seriously? Yeah, we did not have – we had mainstream radio stations in that town. Even the student-run radio stations were regular, you know, AOR, you know, modern rock radio stations. There was nothing in Gainesville playing alternative music. So this whole – Lovely experience that everyone else has about, oh, I heard R.E.M., you know, for the first time on my college radio yeah. station. Never happened to me. I, I just listened to mainstream crap for four years. I didn't have a choice. So I just want just to wow. bitch about that. So UC Irvine, where I went to school, Go Anteaters, um, <laughs> had a FM station, but it was like a tenth of a watt. I think you could pick it up if oh, you were geez. within three three blocks of the campus. It was so low powered. But <clears> – <throat> It was funny. If you were listening, we'd listen in the dorms and stuff, and they would be giving away stuff. You'd call in. You're caller number one. Call back. You're caller number two. Call <laughs> back. <laughs> I would literally be all ten callers to get to be the tenth caller. To win oh, the my tickets. God. That's, that's a great oh. story. I have nothing that can match that. Now, my college at Cal State Northridge, we had a radio station that reached all of the San Fernando Valley. So we got we, – we were out there to at least – Couple million people. Hey man, all of but Van Nuys. The problem was all of Van Nuys, all the porn stars. But the problem was because there was all that alternative rock and there was all the, those other stations. Our college station was classical music. A lot, a lot of college stations do go to the classical. Oh, were world. they? Because yeah. I just was astounded that ours was. It was like late night. You know, on the weekends you'd have some some guest DJs, and oddly enough, Molly Ringwald's father Bob did a Sunday night jazz show. Huh. So there's a little 80s connection for you. But, yeah, I used to do the morning news on 88.5 You did the KCSN. morning news? I can hear that. Yeah. I can definitely hear that. Nice. The Valley's classical <laughs> choice. 
So it's funny, you know, my, my folks are both classically trained musicians, so I had to listen to a lot of classical music in the car. And growing up in Oklahoma, the, the one big classical station was a university station. And whenever a piece would end, my, the, the kid, you know, sitting in the booth would just mangle the composer's names and my parents would just have a field day with that oh my gosh what are these teaching these kids nothing <laughs> and i'm i'm sitting in the back seat praying for the invention of the walkman what does that have to do with the 80s music come on let's get back who's, got, who's got the next pick i think i do yeah and the next choice i have is one that um because i split it up again i went with i you know it takes two looks at kind of forward thinking and i thought this next choice from darren henderson looks back at the 80s, and it was Duran Duran's Ordinary World. Can I say one thing real quick? This is easily my favorite Duran Duran song. Oh, mine too. That's why I, when I saw I'm it, I'm almost embarrassed. It. I, don't know I if it's love my favorite, but it's definitely on the list of. It's definitely it makes the list of top. I don't know ten. I, it, it's definitely my list. I never turn it off when it comes on the radio. I don't care. I don't care how many times I've heard the song. I, I every single time I want to listen to it again. Yeah, it's. I, I'm, and what's funny for me is I had it. In my iTunes library, there's just a lot of stuff I have when I just ditched in, you know, tons of just whole CDs and stuff. And so I hadn't even really noticed it. And it happened to come on my my iPod one day. And I was just like, what the hell? How have I not listened to this song 2,000 times already? I love this song. Uh, it was released in 93. Actually went to number three on the U.S. charts. And apparently uh, Simon LeBond said it was about the death of his friend, David Miles. And this is the last song of a trilogy that he wrote about that death. The first was, do you believe in shame? And then out of my mind, out of my mind was the first, were the first two songs of oh, that trilogy. So can't say I remember those. Yeah. Um, I don't either. And this was, this is a little nice thing for you, Steve. The song was actually leaked by a few radio stations in Florida. Huh. And then, uh, uh-huh. it got a, yeah, got a good response. And then it became a hit on a video on a uh, MTV. Well, supposedly, so. I mean, he, he spends some time here. I think his mom lives in the Tampa Bay area. Or did anyway at one point. I assume she's still alive. Oh, yeah. huh. So I mean, she literally lived in you know, right down the street from where I grew up. Um, in fact, I think uh, Kathy Wass, you know, former co-host Kathy Wass, has a story where she, I think, she went to that Simon LeBond's mom's house and stole some rocks, rocks from her garden. <laughs> I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure that's true. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I, that's you know that's the with the weirdness of stardom, you know. That even your mother's house isn't safe. Yeah. I'm pretty sure my mother's house is safe. <laughs> Let me hit you with my next pick. Um, this one, I, you know, continuing my darkness theory, I think this is an appropriate choice. This is Don Henley with Into the Innocence. Uh, Into the Innocence is the lead single and title track from his third solo album, The End of the Innocence, um, released in 1989. And if you couldn't figure it out, it was co-written. Uh, it was written by Bruce Hornsby. and uh, mm, It does have that feel to it. Yeah. yeah. Matter of fact, I think he used that for us for one of the song, you know, the, the name that 80s tune song. I did. And I was like, sure, it was Bruce Hornsby. Everybody was sure it was Hornsby. Yeah. Um, the lyrics were added by Henley. Both artists still perform the song live in their respective concerts. So Henley um, huh. and Hornsby both still sing that song. I, I would love to hear Hornsby sing it. It peaked at number eight on, on the Hot 100. I like it because, you know, obviously to me, you know, the end of the 80s, end of the innocence, I, I connect with that. I think you connect with it because Don Henley is known to suck the life out of things. And I think <laughs> you appreciate that. <laughs> you and Mojo you know, Nixon. I mean, it's, it's just like, I, I mean, uh, Don Henley's songs, they have such a just downer. Th- like, I think that, and that just kind of like 
you look at that and go, yeah, 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 I get yeah, it. That, that's, that was pointed right at you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, maybe I maybe I do see – maybe my eyes see better in the darkness. Oh, wow. Oh. Um, so young Spearsy ate his carrots. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I have the worst eyesight known to man. I, I seriously have like uh, minus 9.5, I think, on both eyes. So literally I'm, I'm blind. But wow. um, back in 89, 90 – I was living back in Tampa Bay. It was after college. The St. Petersburg had just built Tropicana Field, which is today the home of the Tampa Bay Rays Major League Baseball. But they had built it back in the uh, mid-'80s in an attempt to get a baseball team to come to town. But they couldn't get a team. In fact, it would be like another 10 years before they finally got the Rays. But back in 1990, there was a radio station that was turning like 10 years old. And so they – brought in Don Henley to play a concert at that cavernous stadium, which probably held 30,000 people, 40,000 people. And tickets were $10 a piece. So oh, that, wow. so that wow. place filled up. And that album was, was like top of the charts right then. Every, I mean, it had all the hits. Everybody knew it. And so I got my $10 tickets to go uh, see the show. <laughs> and me and my roommate, Drove from uh, Tampa to St. Pete for it in a most blinding uh, rainstorm known to man. And uh, we pull into St. Petersburg, which has a lot of low-level streets, and promptly hit the biggest puddle known to man and flooded his engine. And we were probably a good five miles, four miles from the stadium at that point. Oh, man. Could not restart the car. So we had to push it over into the grass at some park. And then hoof it to the stadium in the drive in the rain. In the rain. Yeah. Um, and so literally, and you have to go through some sketchy neighborhoods for sure. To it get sounds there. like a Henley song. Yeah. One dark rainy night. I'm sure there wasn't the warm smell of Kalitas, but no, uh. it was <laughs> it was bad. We um, and then then we had to like scrounge together uh, money to take a cab home because the car was still wouldn't start. The car was stuck on the grassy knoll. Yeah, we had to go back into the next day. Um, but I, we, did, we got there in time to hear like maybe three quarters of the Henley concert, and it was fine. But it was just kind of like, ugh, you know. I'm assuming it's an indoor stadium. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the okay. Trop? Come on. You don't know the Trop? I don't know. I, I don't watch a lot of baseball. The, the Rays are screaming to get out of. Uh, well, it's, a, it's supposed to be just a terrible facility. It's not <laughs> as bad. I've, I mean, I, I've seen hundreds of games there. It's, it's fine. Nobody wants an outdoor stadium in Florida in the summer. Trust me. I can understand that. Yeah. Hey, do you know who uh, hit the first, uh, first ball off the catwalks at the Tropicana? No. Tim Salmon of the California Angels. Oh, how would you know something so obscure like that? Because I'm an Angels fan. Okay, that explains. And a Tim yeah. Salmon fan. I'm an Angels fan, but I didn't know that. Tim Salmon has twins, so you know we're like bonded. <laughs> oh my god! Interesting enough, there's a video for this song, obviously, um, directed by David Fincher, same as the Paul, Ab- same as the wow. Paul Abdul, and there are wow. shots okay. of Henley singing in front of the Texas School Book Depository in Dealey Plaza in uh, Dallas, Texas. Really? And I say that. Is that what that song's about? No. Is, but oh, well, okay. to some to some people it is. I was gonna say, really? Well, <laughs> seems like they're kind of telegraphing that. Well, there's a lot of lines in there. There's there's some lines in there that uh, some of the video shows Oliver North. Um, there's also some references to Reagan in there. Um, people have said though that to Henley, the assassination of John F. Kennedy might have been the end of the innocence for him. Um, and and it's ironic that we do this podcast. We're doing it the day after the 50th anniversary of JFK's assassination. Yeah. So there you go. Let's see if someone get darker than that. I don't think so. Unpossible. So thanks to uh, Sean Fitzgerald for bringing us all down. <laughs> I think you helped a little bit with that. Yeah, yeah but yeah, Sean, that's Sean, not all on him. Sean picked, Sean, <laughs> Sean picked the song, and I took the I took the ball and ran with it. That's fair enough. He called the play. You made it so happen. dark. So, so dark. My last pick uh, comes to us courtesy of Anita Montoya, who suggested, among other things, the Pixies. Uh, she didn't pick a track, though. She just threw the band out there. So in an effort to find something that, A, people had heard, and, B, annoy all hardcore Pixies fans, <laughs> I give you their biggest hit, Here Comes Your Man. Yeah. 
Are you annoyed? Yeah, a little. Yeah, well, what other what other song would you have picked? I'm not a big Pixies fan. I got it. I went with this mainly because I think there's some interesting backstory to it. Um, it was the second single off of their third album. Uh, the band really didn't like it. They referred to this song as their Tom Petty song. They felt like it was too straight. Um, which That's is kind of yeah. kind of harsh on Tom Petty. Yeah, he's like a legend. Petty. I mean, I like Tom Petty too, but let me tell you, as a beginning guitar player, Tom Petty songs are great for beginning guitar players. Aww. They're very straightforward. So Black Francis wrote this as a teenager. He wrote this song when he was 14 or 15. And uh, the band recorded it in as early as 87 as a demo, but it never got, it just didn't get used on the first couple albums. But the producer really liked the song. And so, you know, Francis said, oh, I threw him a bone and let him put this one on the album. Um, it was a breakthrough hit for them. I mean, it put them on the map. Uh, but it's another one of those kind of stories like uh, Simple Minds used to be about Don't You Forget About Me. You know, they didn't like it, wouldn't perform it. They were actually invited on the Arsenio Hall show to play the song. And when they said, uh, you know, when they said, well, we want you to play Here Comes Your Man, they said, no, thanks. They didn't say Arsenio Turn, Hall. They <laughs> turned it down. <laughs> they turned down the whole show because of that? Yeah. They said, I don't want, we don't want to be on Arsenio Hall because if you're asking us to play that song, we're not, we don't want to do that. Huh. Well, that's not the last we'll ever hear from the Pixies. No. <laughs> no. Well, that's interesting. Um, you know, the Pixies to me are another band that, you know, when uh, – remember Gina Vivanetta was the first co-host of Stucky Hayes, and she used to always wear a Pixies shirt on, on uh, the day that we would record the podcast. And I was always kind of like, dude, that's a 90s band. And they're not. But in my mind, they always have been. They feel – yeah, they kind of have that jangly – Jangly, sincere rock kind of REM. You know, I'm sure that's mm-hmm. they would hate being lumped in with REM, but there's some of that kind of similarities there. Yeah. REM is another band too that we could have easily brought in here. I mean, they as much as they are part of the '80s sound, they definitely in the late '80s took a turn, and yeah. I mean a, a yeah. sharp turn. And uh, more than anything, it's 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 interesting to see a band do something like that. You know, normally like a band just kind of fades out. You know, they had their time, their music. But R.E.M. kind of made that that turn along with the decade. And, oh, well, we won't have a chance to see them play live ever again. <laughs> they were on my bucket list, too. And I'm kind of pissed about that. So, Well, whose fault is that? I'm sure they performed somewhere near you. No, they didn't point. really tour a lot. When they did, they didn't come down to well, Florida. That's true. They were not known for Well, not, not lately. I mean, in the 80s, they were just touring machines. Yeah, I never saw them. Yeah, I actually saw them. I saw them at the Great Western Forum in the late 80s. I can't remember which album they were they were supporting, but I just remember watching Michael Stipe on stage and going, "What a weirdo! I mean, he was a strange <laughs> dude. He was jumping up and flailing around, and yeah, he was a weirdo." You know what else kind of jumps up and flails around at times? The Seggies. Behold the mystical sound of reader mailbag. Um, and this week we had a mess. We had an email from Kevin Wench. Who, uh, if you read our blog, Stuck in his blog, he does a daily uh, a piece called Lost and Found about uh, songs from the 80s that maybe we've totally forgotten about. He kind of dissects them and lets us revisit them, sort of like this podcast in a way. But uh, he sent in a nice email about uh, the end of the 80s. So, Brad, take it away. Okay. Kevin writes, Hello, boys. I must admit, I didn't know how the podcast would take shape on this slippery subject, but I thought it went well and was glad it had some optimism in it. I thought it would be all about bagging on songs, but I like the spin on the good but different sound. I keep forgetting to give you guys feedback, but I love the old commercials and hope they stay a part of the Seggies. So many of them I actually remember. Perhaps my favorite was the Stay Alive commercial when the kid goes, I'm the sole survivor, <laughs> as it gave me the warm fuzzies. I think that's probably a 70s commercial, but I'm, I'm right there with him. Um, I still have my Stay Alive game in the attic, although I'm missing a few of the marbles. Uh... But you already knew that. Cue Rimshot. If you take requests, I would love to hear a Grey Poupon commercial on a future podcast. That's a good one. Was that 80s? Uh, Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to insist yes. Let's agree with Kevin. Uh, Getting back to listener suggestions for the end of the 80s sound, I'm still struggling with listing specific songs. Upon reflecting, I would say for me, the greatest example of the end of the 80s was actually MTV itself. 
By the end of the 80s, they'd gotten rid of most, except maybe Alan Hunter, of the original VJs and started to market younger VJs like Kennedy, throwing our old friends to the curb. By the end of the 80s, I found myself only wanting to watch MTV for shows like 120 minutes. So I'm going to break in there for a second. Do you remember Kennedy, Drew? She was oh, a, yeah, on K-Rock. She was a DJ on K-Rock for like 15 yeah. minutes, and then yeah. she's on MTV. And I'm like, how did that happen? I don't know, but she was like the least talented DJ on K-Rock ever, and she was horrible on MTV. I think that's just a, a sign of what can happen if you have good representation. She, she wrote so. a book She wrote a book about MTV that just came out where she kind of claims to be like the star of MTV. Uh, yeah, she's sick. got quite the ego. I, I mean, I would say that, too, if I was trying to get people to buy my book. Right. <laughs> Read this book. Anyway. Fifth most important person ever. Yeah. <laughs> the fifth most important person from 1988 on MTV. Okay. Right behind Steve the Cameraman. <laughs> Moving on, we rejoined Kevin Wench in progress. If I had to nominate a band, it would be R.E.M. Ah, oh, there we go. By 1989, R.E.M. had morphed from the jangle guitar sound of Peter Buck to the heavily produced yuck, like Orange Crush and Stand. It baffled me why everybody, including MTV, started liking this R.E.M. version when the earlier version sounded so much better. I still like R.E.M. I just choose to ignore a lot of their catalog. Carry on, Kevin Winch. Um, I like those. I like all of that R.E.M. stuff. I'm sorry. I like the jangly stuff, and I like the more produced stuff. Yeah, I didn't mind the metamorphosis so much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Steve? <laughs> Steve is uh, Steve's on Team Kevin on this one, I think. <laughs> Uh, if you have an email for us uh, with a great story, it's an added bonus. Email us at sit80s at gmail.com or stevein80s at gmail.com or because Brad's obviously not getting enough love, bradin80s at gmail.com. What's happening, hot stuff? Uh, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for Mystery Movie Moment. Or as I like to call it, the Mystery Andrew McCarthy Moment. Because I guess for like three weeks in a row now, I picked an Andrew McCarthy. Yeah, it's the ask, mystery it's McCarthy like the moment. Yeah, there you yeah. go. See, that would have been more Well, clever. that wraps up his film catalog, so I don't the, know what you're going to do now. Uh, Red Scare. Or does it? move on to other McCarthy. Or does it? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Fresh Horses. No. Uh, no one's going to get <laughs> No one's going to find a clip of it, for one. Uh, pay attention. Here's the clip from the last show. I'm a regular kind of guy, okay? Don't disappoint me. Yes, that's a mannequin. Uh, okay, let's real quick. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Who who here liked or disliked Mannequin? I like Mannequin. Uh, I didn't care. I it, honestly, it hadn't left no impression on me whatsoever. I I don't want to give it a thumbs up, but I'd feel bad giving it a thumbs down. It, it is it is so stupid. <laughs> the, the performances are so broad. It's so the whole thing is like a giant Three Stooges cartoon, <laughs> but it's fun. Yeah. You know, it does no harm. It, exactly, it does no harm. I think that's the safest thing you could say about it. it should be our podcast motto. And anyway, do no I, I think that I think the doctors already got that. One. Oh well, fuck them. Hey, uh, so Different read the uh, read the winners. <laughs> what do you ever do? <laughs> uh, winners include Lisa Brown, Mister Big W, Gale in DC, the ever-present Kevin Serving Wench. Shazam from St. Louis, Kurt in New Jersey, and Ken. Ken Ward, is that really you? I forgot about that. Pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. I know that. You know that. Nobody else knows that. Ah! If you know it, email us at sit80s at gmail.com. Stephen, the 80s at gmail.com. Actually, you could probably even message us if you want to on our Facebook page, but uh, I got to admit, I always sometimes forget to look for mail there. So best to send an email and always send Brad an email. Just send him a little love. Everyone could use a smile. (laughs) I have a mystical refrain of Name That 80s Tune. Hey, we'll play a snippet of a song from the 80s if you can get it. Uh, we will read your name with all the pleasure known to mankind. Pay attention. Here's the clip from our last show. That's Still Loving You by Scorpions. I'm still loving you. I'm still loving you. 
the album with the uh, forks in the guy's oh, eyes? Man. I don't. I just. I was not allowed to buy that album. Uh, my mom because of the cover. Yeah, because of the was cover. It breakout. Oh yeah, I think it was Breakout. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's Scorpions, not the Scorpions. Scorpions. Because we are German and we do not use the. the. I heard in the das sometime Scorpions. in the in the mid to late eighties, I heard a radio interview with those guys, and they were hysterical. Like their English was straight out of the seventies. Like they were talking about things were groovy and you know oh, wow. a lot of it was just it was the weirdest thing. We were I don't remember a thing they said. I remember that their English was really I, funny. I've interviewed them for the show. You know that, right? I don't remember that. Um, about uh, in the first three years of the podcast, I interviewed Klaus Miney. Oh, I'll okay. have to go back. It's, and it's check not. That it's out. not bad. It was after they had they had some. You talk about like strange gets, you know? Because I mean, sometimes it's hard to get someone on the phone to talk unless they're coming to town or something new to promote. Well, I, they had a new album out. I forget what it was called. Um, it was kind of a concept album. It's be a better story if I remember the name of it. But if you go back in the Stuck in the 80s, um, if you guys are subscribers and you see the, the RSS feed, you can find it. Um, I just shot a note to the publisher saying, oh, I really love the album. I'd love to talk to Klaus if he ever wants to talk. And he literally had me set up with him like in, within 48 hours. Wow. And That's it was cool. about a 30-minute interview. And I think they he was just finishing up sound check somewhere. It was a pretty good podcast. I think I did it solo, the interview. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Everything was fine until the very end when um, I asked him. Back in those days, we would ask everybody who did an interview with us to do a bumper that we would use sure. at the beginning oh. of the show. And every once in a while, it caused problems because you'd say they, – they would all say, oh, sure, no problem. And then you would tell them what to say and they'd be like, the name of the show is what? And they would get <laughs> – and they would get pissed. Oh, yeah. And um, someone who uh, – let's see – John Waite was one of those ones who was like, oh, my God, give me a break. I mean, he was really not happy. And he was he was very – he said it, but then he started busting up laughing afterwards. So with Klaus, I, he said, oh, sure, I will do the bumper for you. And um, so I said, okay, we'll just say hi. This is- I didn't know Klaus was in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Klaus, that's my only German accent I can do. All those years of watching Hogan's Heroes does me no good whatsoever. Um <laughs> So I said, okay, Klaus, well, here's what you say. Just say, hi, this is Klaus Money from Scorpions, and you're listening to Stuck in the 80s. And he's like, but we are not stuck in the 80s. I'm like, no, 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 no. You, I know you're not stuck in the 80s. The name of the show is Stuck in the 80s. I, I'm stuck in the 80s. But we have a new album out. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I know, fuck. I know you do. It's like, it's just the name of the show. I said, yeah, it's just, you can say whatever you want to say. It's okay. And he's like, okay. So, you, so it's, you Real quiet. He's like, hello, this is Klaus Meine from Scorpions, and you are listening to Stuck in the 80s, but we are not Stuck in the 80s, because <laughs> we have new album out. You must listen, yeah, and, and you know we have ways of making you listen. <laughs> and he goes yeah. on, and I just, oh, my God, it's really funny. And, you know, poor Klaus. I mean, I, he probably just didn't understand the context of it, but, you know, consequently, I think after that one, I never asked anybody else to do a bumper. That's <laughs> all funny. So the name of that album was Black Blackout, not Dark Out. Oh, uh, all right. So who are the winners? We have winners. The winners include Rob, your friendly neighborhood Snyder man, Snyder from New Jersey, Irish Dave in Allentown, Pennsylvania, Oliver the Bard, Bardenhire, the Jordans, Dennis M in Cleveland, William Hobbs, and Eric from Alpharetta, Georgia. I guarantee you, Oliver Bardenhire does not like me doing this. He is from Germany. Oliver Bardenhauer oh. is, is the is the guy who with the band Check Battery Daily who does the intro music for Stuck oh. in the Eighties. Oh, cool! And actually, just Very cool. so when we go over for Oktoberfest, yeah. we're going to stay at his I, place. That's, I'm sure that's going to happen. And um, that trip would be wasted. On I actually emailed him today and said, "Hey, are the Scorpions still hot over there?" And he says, "Well, you know, they're German, so of course, but you know, they haven't done anything lately." Yeah. But I don't know. He didn't say, they're not as hot as Hoff. Not as hot I was going to say, probably David Hoff. Ask him about the Hoff, exactly. Yeah, I'm sure he's, <laughs> I also made sure to ask Irish Dave if he gets tired of people quoting Billy Joel lyrics to him, since he's from Allentown. Oh, <laughs> good man down. Yeah, I, I didn't get a response back from him on that one either. <laughs> Sorry, I was just a little wiggy today. <laughs> Delete. Delete. <laughs> I, do not, I do not like that Steve Spears anymore. He makes fun of the Allentown. Um, anyway, pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. 
If you know it, email us. You know the addresses by now. And tune in next week to find out if you're Avina. We'll be right back after this commercial break. The finer things in life. Happily, some are affordable, like Grey Poupon Dijon Mustard. Grey Poupon is so fine, it's even made with white wine. Its original French Dijon recipe adds distinctive flavor to beef, pork, and poultry, salad dressing and sauces, and of course, sandwiches. So enjoy one of life's finer pleasures. Pardon me, would you have any Grey Poupon? But of course. Grey Poupon, one of life's finer pleasures. And we're back. And um, since this is the final episode of the end of the 80s series, I thought, why not end it a little unusually? We had this great letter come in, literally came in in the last 24 hours from Morgan in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, And Morgan talks about um, the end of the 80s, specifically um, how it pertains to um, heavy metal. I thought it was a great letter, and I think we should read it. Drew, why don't you do the honors this time? Be glad to. All right, so the letter starts. Steve and the 80s crew. Shit, start over. That sounds like a freaking morning radio show. These guys aren't that bad. Nice. Steve, Brad, and Drew. And he included me. That's so nice. I think I've been damned with faint praise there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I listened to show 297 with bated breath, knowing I was going to be the first to mention the end of the 80s metal scene. Then, with just a few minutes left, like some bad sports movie cliche, the last minute come from behind, you bring out the metal. That's right, brother. I know the show's not into metal so much, but that was my primary music in that decade. I was born in 72, so my graduating class was 89-90, truly the end of the 80s. My earliest music was that of my parents, lots of hits from the 50s and 60s. When I got my own radio from Caldor's department store... I soon got access to pop radio hits like Chicago, Jack Wagner, and Chaka Khan. Looking back, how did I ever become a man? Yeah, Jack Wagner? Is that the guy from General Hospital or something? I think it might be. Yeah, All I Need is the one yeah. song you would know by him. Yep. Just a little more time to be sure. Remember earlier when we said you had a nice singing voice? Yeah, well, I'm trying to prove you wrong. That's my <laughs> job in life, Drew. Proven. <laughs> Box uh, <letter> checked. <laughs> Continues, uh, don't get me wrong, I'm an 80s pop fan, but when a friend brought over a vinyl of Quiet Riot's Metal Health, well, I became a metalhead for life. The decade passed by, we moved from Connecticut to Florida. I met new people and expanded my musical tastes. Sure, I listened to everything from Van Halen to Duran Duran, but I preferred Slayer, Exodus, and Overkill. So as a lifelong metal fan, and as a self-admitting hair metal aficionado, I believe I can weigh in on the death of metal. The fashionable answer is Smells Like Teen Spirit, and that was my default answer for years afterwards. Nirvana and Pearl Jam killed metal, and we actually had a couple uh, people ride in and say that, you know, that, that Nirvana was the end of metal. Yeah, that was a popular pick. Yeah. But that's not quite right. Metal killed itself. Call it corporate metal, call it glam metal, whatever you call it, thank God it's gone. The early hair acts were using image to garner attention from a widening audience. They were decent bands looking for an edge, and they were willing to dress it up to get you to plunk down your hard-earned 13 bucks. The later waves of hair metal were all image, no substance. You looked past the spandex and aquanet and found them hollow and empty. Kind of like Steve feels his life is like right now. (laughs) Sick burn, bro. (laughs) Sorry, man. I had to. Even the big leaguers were running low on fuel toward the end. Previous favorites like Metallica and Guns N' Roses were turning into whining crybabies singing ballads to my little sister. <laughs> I love that line. That's so wow. good. Yeah. That's so good. <laughs> I remember exactly when 80s metal died for me. Summer of 1991, a group of us drive down to Lakeland to see a monster of a show. 
Slayer, Anthrax, Megadeth, and some band called Alice in Chains. Never heard of them. Well, we get to the show, Alice in Chains goes on, and my friends and I all damn near fell silent. It was really a life-changing experience. Metal dies a quiet death. We let it die. We buried it unceremoniously and blamed the death on grunge. I love this. I can't help but read the letter this way. The truth is, if metal wasn't already rotting from the inside, grunge wouldn't have stood a chance to dethrone it. He's absolutely right. I mean, we, you know, he has a point. If, if the if the empire isn't weak, then the uh, you know the, the Visigoths can't overrun. Yeah, you. I, I mean, he's he's on the money. Well, enough pontificating from me. I've got Cindy Lopper playing on repeat, and it's driving my neighbors crazy. Because while metal will always live on in my heart, I'll forever be wait for it stuck in the eighties. Love the show, guys. Woo-hoo! Keep it up, Morgan in Jacksonville, Florida. And then he adds, and if you're looking for a dark anthem to Requiem the 80s, I believe an honorable mention must go to Queen's The Show Must Go On, considering the circumstances and timing. Great letter. Yeah. Yeah. Good, great letter and great, great pick. pick. Um, great song. I appreciate everyone who emailed, took the time to go to our Facebook page and, and make some amazing suggestions. We could, we could easily string this out for another 10 podcasts, but I think that would defeat the purpose. The podcast about the end of the 80s should last longer than the, <laughs> the 80s. The 80s, yeah. <laughs> this, this podcast already has been eight years long. So um, it's, it's been a fun uh, PPTMN. I challenge you out there. Find another PPTMN that, we'll, that we can turn into a four-part podcast series. And uh, we will we'll send you a Stuck in the 80s shirt. You know, I'll, I'll pull it out of my own uh, – Fast resources. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll dust off something in my closet. Uh, <laughs> in, the, in the meantime, Brad, uh, Drew, um, I'm glad you're here for the full ride. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been great. And uh, to honor the spirit of Morgan and the death of metal, we'll go out the way he suggested. But in the meantime, we will always remain here, hopelessly stuck in the news. Stuck in the 80s is a Class of 85 production. Please listen responsibly. Does that work okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's no stupider than our usual offerings. <laughs>